taken from 1 Kings, chapter 19, verses 1 to 16, and it can be found on page 336. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life like the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid. He got up and he fled for his life and came to Beershebab, which, which belongs to Judah. He left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a solitary broom tree. He asked that he might die. It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the broom tree and fell asleep. Suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Get up and eat. He looked, and there at his head was a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. He ate and drank and lay down again. The angel of the Lord came a second time, touched him and said, Get up and eat, otherwise the journey will be too much for you. He got up and ate and drank, and then he went in the strength of that food for forty days and forty nights to, to Hirob, the mount of... God. At that place he came to a cave and spent the night there. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, What are you doing here, Elijah? He answered, I have been very zealous for the Lord and the God of hosts, for the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. He said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. The Lord is about to pass by. Now there was a great wind, so strong that it was splitting mountains and breaking rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in an earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of sheer silence. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Then there came a voice to him that said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He answered, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, throw down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. Then the Lord said to him, Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, where when you arrive you shall anoint Hazael as king over Aram. Also you shall anoint Yahu, son of Nimishi, is king over Israel, and you shall anoint Elisha, son of the Shaphat Abel Mahola, as prophet in your place. Thank you, Lizzie. Thanks very much. I'm just going to pray before we start. Heavenly Father, uh, I pray you would open our ears like you opened Elijah's to hear from you this evening. Amen. Um, so this evening, we're continuing our journey through the wilderness. I forget the first slide up, Brian. Thank you. So last week, uh, Mark was speaking to us and he talked about when the Israelites were in the desert and they were led during the day by a a pillar of cloud and at night by a pillar of fire um, as they were making their own little journey through the desert. So those with keen ears and sharp eyes who were paying attention as Lizzie was reading there um, might have noticed some parallels this evening. Or just if you've known and read the Bible much yourselves, you might kind of think, this sounds a bit familiar. 
Does anyone get the idea that they might have seen or heard some of these things before, perhaps in the book of Exodus, maybe in the Gospels? You've got God's anointed one traveling alone in the wilderness. You've got a zeal for the Lord that's thwarted by the Israelites and their idolatry, the idolatry of his chosen people. It's fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. The Lord himself passing by the man of God on Horeb, on Mount Sinai. Sometimes these repeating patterns in Scripture that we see can give a clue to what's going on. And sometimes you might work out which is the sort of key instance of it and which is the one anticipating it to come or which is building or repeating or expanding on that instance. To try and get our brain into gear here, uh, I've got a few secular examples and see how well you can perhaps link some stories, a modern-day retelling of an older story. Um, I was got told off, I think, once for my sermons. It always seems to be there's some amateur film studies going on in my talk, so I apologise for that. But could we have the next slide, please? So, the story of the Lion King. I'm looking at the UK. Everyone love the Lion King? Who doesn't love the Lion King? But what story is it retelling? Does anyone know? Hamlet. Excellent. Why Hamlet? We've got a sort of vengeful, evil uncle, murders the king, his father. The young prince is sent out into exile. Um, And what does he do? Does he come back and claim his birthright or not? Uh, Next slide, please, Brian. I will say the songs in The Lion King are probably a bit catchier, uh, and the ending is a bit happier as well. Hopefully he's going to appear. There he is, a bit of RSC there, lovies. Uh, next one as well, please, Brian. So this is, might be a bit more obscure, as this film was actually released in the year I was born, so the youth may not have seen Apocalypse now. Anyone else love the smell of napalm in the morning? Does anyone know which story this retells? So we've got a young man who's going off into the jungle seeking the, uh, the charismatic, charismatic Colonel Kurtz, uh, who uh, has been... Uh, revered and worshipped as a god by the local native people. Um, So this is set in the Vietnam War, but actually, next slide please, it's a retelling of um, Joseph Conrad's Heart of Darkness with the same sort of stories, the same sort of images. Uh, And the last one, a slightly lighter note, uh, back in 1995, classic year for films, Clueless. Anyone know what Clueless might be a retelling of? Or uh, there was a... Emma, excellent, very good. So we've got a a privileged young woman who thinks she's excellent at matchmaking, is in fact terrible at it, because she keeps getting things wrong by trying to set her friends up together. Uh, In the end, she ends up falling for the the older man in the story who's always been a bit of an older brother figure to her, and then she suddenly realises, of course, you're the man of my dreams. Yes, a retelling of Emma, and quite a good one, only with outlandishly large mobile phones. Oh, I'd love to have one of those back in 95. Look at that. You're not going to lose that in a hurry, are you? Uh, And quite nice manicures, too. So, anyway, meanwhile, back in 1 Kings. Um, Elijah's been experiencing all the highs and lows of being an Old Testament prophet. He's fresh from what can only be described as some fairly extreme interfaith dialogue with the prophets of Baal. 
You may remember the story. Next slide, please, Brian. He's there on Mount Carmel up in the north of Israel, and he's challenged the prophets of Baal and the prophets of Asherah to uh, a miracle off, essentially. So he said, right, take a bull each, sacrifice it, chop it up into bits, and put it on an altar. And you've got to get your gods to set fire to your sacrifice. And of course they can't. They dance around and they shout all day and all night, sort of cut themselves with swords and spears, and Elijah, being the good man of God, he starts taunting them. Perhaps he's deaf, perhaps he's on the toilet. And just to prove, actually, that the Lord, the God of hosts, is the one true God, Elijah tries to make it a bit difficult, a bit more difficult, and he pours water all over his sacrifice until it's filled a little moat that he's dug around the altar. But just the same, God sends down fire and burns up the sacrifice. Um, So then Elijah then sort of said, God is the one true God, and all the people agreed with him. Everyone apart from that chap over on the right, who looks really unimpressed. He's like, I've seen better last week. But everyone else, all the other Israelites are really impressed, and so impressed that Elijah encourages them all and says, God is God, and they round up the prophets of Baal and put them all to the sword. Now Jezebel, so Ahab, the wayward king of Israel, and his wife Jezebel have been promoting Baal worship. And Jezebel hears about this. Ahab tells her about it. And she's furious. And even though there's this amazing demonstration of God's power, she's enraged and undeterred. And so she sends Elijah a message. And it's quite a short message, really, is, this time tomorrow, you're dead. So how does Elijah react? Is he really buoyed up with the fact that he goes, well, I know that God's on my side. I've seen his demonstration of his power. He's confident in that. He knows he's going to be fine. No, instead he is terrified. He's really afraid and he just runs for the exit. Quite a long way to the exit, in fact. Sometimes the names in the Bible don't mean very much, but he was up on Mount Carmel, which is up sort of near Haifa, the top, almost in Lebanon, and he runs all the way down to Beersheba, the most southern city in Judah, the southern kingdom, the middle of the Negev Desert. And he runs down there, and he goes another day's journey into the desert from there. So sometimes, uh, next slide, please. Um, Sometimes circumstances might force us into the wilderness. Not necessarily a real wilderness like this. This is the empty quarter on the Arabian Peninsula. But sometimes more of a metaphorical wilderness, a place of, of loneliness, of testing, of someone we're not really sure where we are uh, and we're not quite sure where we're going. So sometimes circumstances force us there, but sometimes that may be actually where we've chosen to go and we run there ourselves. And that's what Elijah's done here. Elijah's fallen into despair and he lies down and he prays and he prays that he could just die. He says, it's enough now, O Lord. Take away my life for I am no better than my ancestors. After everything I've tried, everything I've done, all my zeal for you, it's just ended up the same. I'm no better off than them. Just let me die. So he he lies down, perhaps hoping never to to wake up again. He falls asleep. But he does wake up, though, and he's actually woken up by an angel, a messenger, messenger, an angel who wakes him up. Uh, Next slide, please, Ron. An angel presents him 
with a cake of bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. Get up and eat, he says. And so Elijah does. A few moments ago, we were thinking about parallels between stories, an older telling of a story and a newer reiteration of it. Um, And we might be starting to pick some parallels up here again. This time we're at the start of a 40-day fast, 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. But we might think, it's Lent now, we might think about Jesus and his 40-day fast, 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. At the end of those 40 days and 40 nights, he's not had anything to eat or drink, and he is hungry. He certainly had nothing to eat, and he's hungry. And so he finds himself tempted. And his tempter, and I'd imagine you've probably got... Well, it echoes all words. I've certainly got stones that look like these. I can vouch for that myself. Um, You've probably got rocks sitting around like this. And he's looking at them. And the tempter, the voice in his head says, Come on. If you're really the Son of God, why don't you command this stone and turn it instead into bread? How hungry he was. But Jesus is wise wise to the temptation. And he says, no, you don't just live on physical food, but spiritual food as well. You live by every word that comes from God's mouth. So when we find ourselves in that metaphorical wilderness, perhaps adrift, confused, frightened, we need to take the refreshment that's on offer, every word that comes from God's mouth. If I ask someone to put up their hand and say that they've heard quite a few sermons where the take-home message is, you probably need to read your Bible more, <coughs> in, more urgently and pray more intensely. I imagine everyone would probably go, yes, I've heard a sermon like that. But that's probably just because it's good advice. Take the refreshment on offer. So he's given bread. But also we saw with Harry and Isaac there, manfully chewing through three Jacob's cream crackers, the main thing you need in the desert is water. That's your number one priority to survive because that's going to be what hinges on it. Think again back to the Gospels. Jesus is sat next to the well in Samaria and he asks the woman there, a Samaritan woman, he asks her for a drink of water and she's amazed. She's surprised by this because why would a Jewish man ask her, a Samaritan woman, to give, a, a, give him a drink when there's no way that he would ever touch a cup that she's used, let alone drink from it. But Jesus says to her, if only you knew who was asking you for a drink, you would ask him for water. Everyone who drinks of the water that I will give will never be thirsty again. The water that I give will become a spring gushing up inside those that drink it. So in the spiritual wilderness take the refreshment that's on offer every word that comes from the mouth of God and drink deeply of the water that Jesus offers not only to satisfy our own spiritual thirst but to be a spring that refreshes other people as well so Elijah's been given the, the, the food the bread and water he eats and drinks he sleeps a bit more a second time the angel wakes him up and says eat and drink otherwise the journey is going to be too much for you You're going a long way, 40 days and 40 nights, and off he goes. And in the strength of that food, he goes all the way to Horeb, Mount Sinai, and the Sinai Peninsula. So he's gone another long way, hundreds of miles that he's travelled. 
just like Moses, who spent 40 days and 40 nights on Horeb um, and heard from the Lord. And at the end of that was given the Ten Commandments. So Elijah arrives on Horeb. He arrives there, and the word of the Lord comes to him. Uh, last slide, please, Brian. And the word of the Lord comes to him and says, Elijah, what are you doing here? And I thought when I first read this that Elijah doesn't really answer his question. What are you doing here, Elijah? And what Elijah says is, I've been very zealous for you, Lord, the God of hosts, for the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they're seeking my life to take it away. I thought this sounds more like a complaint than what I'm doing here, but maybe what he's doing there is actually... This is what my complaint is. Lord, why don't you sort it out? I've come all the way to Sinai. Last time, the man of God here, when Moses was here, he came down he sorted out the Israelites. He passed judgment on them. Why won't you do the same? But God says, right, coming from this cave, actually, this is actually Horeb here. It's, sorry, it's a bit fuzzy. But that cave there, so tradition has it, is Elijah's cave. I don't know the Arabic for it, but it has an Arabic name. Elijah's cave on Horeb on Sinai. He says, go to the mouth of the cave, for the Lord is about to pass by. And you think about those parallels in the films again. Back on Sinai, God had said to Moses, I'm going to pass by, but you can't see my face. You're going to see my back. I'll put my hand over your face, for none may see the face of the Lord and live. So Elijah's offered this theophany and a personal encounter with God. But then something strange happens. Maybe... Elijah was hoping for God to come and answer his request earlier. Come like a wind that's strong enough to split rocks apart, or an earthquake that would flatten the the cities of the Israelites, flatten the cities of Jezebel and squash her flat, or a fire that would come and burn not just a sacrifice bull, but burn up all the enemies of God and Elijah's enemies. Back in Exodus, in chapter 19, that's how it worked out for Moses. The the mountain was covered with cloud, the earth shook, there were trumpet blasts, and everyone was terrified and afraid. Maybe that's what Elijah was after. But all three of those things happen. There's the mighty wind, there's the violent earthquake, there's the consuming fire. But God wasn't in any of those. That's not how he was acting. Instead, he comes, and our reading translates it as a sound of sheer silence. It sounds a bit like a paradox to me, of a contradiction in terms. What does a sheer silence sound like? Well, nothing really. Each word actually in Hebrew means a small, still voice. I don't know if you can hear a silence or if it's just an absence of noise. But when Elijah hears it, he realises that this is God speaking to him now. So he goes out and stands at the cave entrance. He covers his face with his cloak. And he's asked again, what are you doing here? So maybe Elijah wanted to give up his prophetic duties. You take it on from here, God. Like in Moses' day, you go and sort out everything. Don't use me anymore. I've done enough. Send in the earth, wind and fire cavalry of the 1970s band to go and sort them out. But if that's what he thought, he was going to be disappointed. God said, I'm going to use politics. I'm going to use you. I'm going to use prophets and kings to actually bring about the restoration of my kingdom. Maybe we want God to make himself a bit more obvious to us. To our friends who scoff at our Christian faith, 
that he would appear to them in a way as obvious as the northern lights were in the skies over Britain last week. The signs in the earth and in the sky. Look, I told you so. Maybe our faith feels like it's waning over many years or perhaps we're new to the Christian faith and, and we just want God to make his spirit to be a bit more obvious, a bit more real to us. And the story of Elijah helps us to remind us that sometimes it's in the small, silent whisper that God's voice is heard. I've come to the end of my talk now and so perhaps the band will want to come up but I'll let them do so because I know there's bits of musical instrumentation to fiddle around with. But before they start playing the next song, I just want us to listen for a sound of sheer silence and perhaps build a discipline in this week, maybe, to try and find somewhere where we can be silent and listen out, strain our ears to hear from God. <laughs> 